In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, last Wednesday I taught you about the Lord's humiliation, when it was, of what it consisted, and the purpose for it. For 33 years, Christ the Lord lived in a state of humiliation as a lowly sufferer, which culminated in his death on the cross and his burial. But his time of humiliation came to an end when he rose from the dead, when he ascended into heaven to take back his throne as the ruler of the universe, as the head of the church, who will one day come visibly to judge both the living and the dead. All of this, from Christ's resurrection and ascension to his final return, is called his state of exaltation. And that's what we consider for tonight. Remember what Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9 said. It says, He emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant. That's his humiliation. And later on it says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him. So what does it mean that Jesus is highly exalted? That he's in a state of exaltation? Well, it means this. Jesus is now using his full divine majesty with a full exercise, operation, and manifestation of his power. He always had this power, but now he no longer limits himself with his power or withholds his majesty or power or glory. He no longer hungers or thirsts or bleeds or sweat or cries or dies. He laid aside all of the infirmities of his flesh. God punished all of our sins, all of the sins of the entire world, believers and unbelievers. He punished the very first sin ever sinned to the very last sin that anyone will ever commit. And everything in between, he imputed, he attributed, and he gave all of those sins to Christ. And then he struck his only begotten son down and damned Christ on the cross as if he himself were guilty of all these sins. And that's what it means when we say that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He took our place. And Christ suffered great shame and humiliation and condemnation. But now, everything has changed. Because Jesus didn't stay in that grave. He laid his life down in death. And then he took it back again. And when he resurrected, that was God's declaration to the world that every sin that was punished in Christ is now forgiven. Romans chapter 4.25 says this, Christ was delivered unto death for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That means he was raised for our forgiveness. The resurrection of Christ is the objective justification of all mankind is God's announcement to the world that all, that every single sin is forgiven in Christ in what he did for us on the cross. And now Christ has taken his place of exaltation. His work as the lowly suffering servant is finished. And he takes his place on his throne again as the, the one who is highly exalted, the Lord. So I want to focus specifically on the Lord's ascension and what that means for you. 
after his resurrection, Jesus was telling the apostles to preach about his crucifixion, about repentance, the forgiveness of sins. And as he was blessing them, he was lifted up into heaven and was covered from their sight by a cloud. And now from their point of view, he was seemingly gone. Now, the way most people conceive of the ascension is that they think that Jesus is gone. So they're sad which is probably one reason why many people don't make it to the Ascension service 40 days after Easter on that Thursday. They think of the Ascension as a somber time, a time when the Lord has left us on our own, a time when he was physically removed from us, that he can no longer be around us. Now we have to fend for ourselves until he comes back. But the, the truth is that is not the reaction of the disciples who were eyewitnesses of this event. What do the scriptures say? It says that the disciples worshipped him. Now, how could they worship him if they thought he wasn't there? It's because they knew that even though they couldn't see him, he was still there. Remember what the Lord said before he ascended. He said, behold, I am with you even unto the end of the age. And more than that, do the disciples seem sad about Christ's ascension? No, the Bible says the disciples returned to Jerusalem with joy. And no, it doesn't say that. It says they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Their joy increased. And why is that? It's because they know that when Christ was humiliated, he limited himself to be at one place and at one time. But now that Christ has ascended now that he's in his exaltation, there is nothing he cannot do, that nothing that he will not do. Everything is within his power. He will not refrain from the glory and the majesty that belongs to him. And it means that the Lord Jesus is always with them and that there is nothing he will limit himself from doing. So I'll give you an example from St. Stephen, the first martyr. When Stephen was preaching, <clears throat> And the council, they heard it, and they were enraged, and they gnashed their teeth at him. They were very angry with him. And then what, does, what, what do the scriptures say? It says that Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said these words. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, usually when we think of this, I admit that um, I often used to think of it in this way, that uh, we think that Stephen sees Jesus <clears throat> far off in the distance, like he sees an image of God, like a TV screen or something. So we typically think of this as if uh, Stephen is watching something happening live on TV, uh, where it's really happening really, really far away in the distance, but in TV it look, looks uh, up close and near. But there is no sense of this in the text, in the scriptures, of that this is what's happening. And neither is it that Jesus suddenly flew in to be present there for his death, as if he just decided, okay, I'm going to come here and save Stephen. The text in every sense is clearly pointing to this fact that Jesus is right there as he has always been, that he is within arm's reach, standing right there at all times. 
In other words, when Stephen was dying, it's not that Jesus came down to come get him. It's that Jesus was already there. What's happening here is that Jesus is sim- that, that Stephen is simply given the gift by the Holy Spirit to see with his own eyes what is always true. Stephen was able to see with his own eyes what the Lord has revealed to us with his word. That Jesus the Lord is always standing just right there with his throne and all of his angels around him. And so this is the glory of Christ's exaltation. The joy we have because of his ascension. It means that what was true for Stephen is also true for you. And that means Jesus is always with you. It means there is never, never a time when he is not with you. You may feel as if he is not there for you. You may feel as if he's forgotten you. You don't see him there with your eyes, but that does not mean he left you. This means that you may feel lonely in this life many times, but dear saints, you are never alone. He is with you even now. He is near you. He is omnipresent, dwelling with you at every second of every day of every moment, not missing one thing in your life. And this means that there is not one place in this world that you can go, that the Lord Jesus will not go with you. You may suffer and carry burdens and be weighed down by the troubles of this life, however many there are. But Jesus is never, ever far away from you when you're suffering. He is always, at every moment, there with you to hold you up, to give you strength, to clean your conscience, to plead for your forgiveness continually without ceasing, and to give you peace. At any point in your life, you can look into heaven and know that Jesus is present, that he is right there with you. And this means that even if you're in danger, with no one else around to help you, even if the pastor or your loved ones cannot make it to be with you in those final moments when your breath leaves your body and your heart stops, even if you are to die alone, dear saints, you are never alone. You don't even have to cry out loud hoping for the off chance that the Lord might hear you. No, you can simply whisper it out. Lord, have mercy on me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord Jesus, into your hands, I commit my spirit and the Lord will hear you because he is right there with you, standing at his throne, holding you in his arms and taking you to be with him forever. And that's what it means that the Lord is with us. It's not some sort of wishful thinking on our part. It's not, it's what the Lord said he would do. It's what he is doing. So even right now, even though we can't gather together in this moment in the church because of the illness of our flesh, the mortality of our bodies because of this virus, the Lord Jesus is 
there right here, right now with you in this exact moment. He is just as close to you as he is to me. He is near to each one of us at the same exact time through his omnipresence and his grace and his mercy and the state of his exaltation. Now, the last point I want to make to you is this. Not only is the Lord with you, but he also knows what it is like to go through everything that you have been through. So I, I want to be clear here. It, it's not that the Lord simply knows what you're going through because he's omniscient, uh, that he knows everything. And therefore, by default, he knows in some sense what it's like. No, he actually knows your griefs and sorrows. Let me try to clear this up or explain it another way. <clears throat> when somebody goes through something, we oftentimes try to have compassion on them or sympathize with them, right? So somebody says, look, my pet just died. And we say, you know, I'm sorry. I know how that feels. Or somebody says, look, I'm in debt or my wife left me or I have cancer or my father has died. And we say, I know, I know that's hard. I know what it's like. I've been through that. And at, at the risk of sounding insensitive, no, you don't. You don't know what it is like. Not in the same way. You may have an idea since you've gone through something similar, right? You know what it's like to lose your own loved one, but you don't know exactly what it's like to lose that loved one, that specific person in your life, right? That to, to know all those things about that person and to, to, to miss that and to lose that. You don't know that. So uh, th there's still this great degree of separation, even in our compassion with one another, even with our sympathizing of one another, it's still insufficient. It's not really real. As a pastor, I can't really have compassion on you. And you can't have true compassion on you. And you can't have true compassion on me. Uh, my suffering and my grief is my own. And no one else in the world actually knows or shares or feels it exactly the way that I do. And, and just a side comment here. This is why we shouldn't diminish what other people are suffering or going through or dismiss it as if it's not a big deal or try to brush it off. We don't know what it's like to be them to experience this right in that second, in that moment. Uh, <clears throat> but here's the point I'm making. This sort of attempt at knowing what others are going through is not how the Lord has compassion on us. We can't know what anyone else is going through, but the Lord does in a way that we don't know even each other's sufferings. In fact, he doesn't just have a head knowledge of what it's like. He himself experienced it. The scriptures don't say that Jesus bore griefs and sufferings. And for that reason, he has compassion on you because he sort of knows what it's like to suffer in a similar way uh, to you. That's not what the scriptures say. The Bible says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Whose? Ours. 
Just as the Lord bore our sins, the actual sins that you and I committed with our own hands, he also has borne our griefs and sorrows. This means that Jesus in his own suffering on the cross adopted all of your sin, all of your guilt, every single grief and sorrow and second and ounce of agony that you have suffered, even the ones you have not experienced yet or gone through. The Lord felt them. You see, he doesn't just know what it's like to lose a child. He knows the exact and precise pain of what it feels like to lose your exact child. He has experienced your precise sorrow. He suffered and was sorrowful over what you suffer and are sorrowful over. And so what does this mean? It means that the one who rules the universe is the one who is always with you, who will never leave you nor forsake you. And the one who knows, has felt, has experienced in his flesh everything that you yourself are going through right at this moment, the things that no one else can ever even begin to understand, Jesus knows them better than anyone. In fact, he knows them better than you. He knows your trouble right now, this exact trouble, the burden that is on your heart. The Lord knows it. He felt it. He experienced it. And in this way, the Lord alone is the one who can have compassion upon you. True compassion. He suffers with you. He suffers your suffering. The one who rules the world is the one who has endured everything you have endured. He's the one who felt your sorrow, your grief. There is no one, not one person in the world more compassionate towards you, more invested in you. And there is no one who loves you more or better than the Lord Jesus. And more than that, he is not only with you, and knows you and loves you. But he knows how to redeem you. And he has. He knows how to save you from this veil of tears. And he will. He knows how to put an end to all of your suffering and your grief and your sorrow. And he did it through his own. The one who controls everything. Every single thing that happens in this universe, the one who controls it all is with you, is for you. He is on your side. So be anxious about nothing. And don't you be afraid. God is still in control. And he loves you. And he uses not just some things or most things, but all things together for your good, for your benefit. And hopefully, very soon, he will exalt you 
and lift you up out of the troubles of this life and bring you to be with him forever. And then you will know, very soon, you will know his perfection, his righteousness, his joy, his innocence, his blessedness, his glory, and his exaltation. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.